This is In Front of Our Eyes. Today starts a landmark trial. I felt the officer was shimmying to actually get the final choke in while he was on top. It's been nights. I stayed up apologizing for not doing more. I'm Nina Moyni. We're recapping the trial of Derek Chauvin week by week. He's the former Minneapolis police officer charged with murder and manslaughter in the death of George Floyd. Later in the podcast, I'll talk with a criminal defense attorney about how it's going now that the prosecution is presenting its case against Chauvin. If you listened to the trial this past week, you probably heard, or maybe heard again, the end of George Floyd's life. As Chauvin knelt on his neck and two other officers held Floyd down, the jury heard Floyd say he couldn't breathe over and over. He said his body hurt. He called out, Mama. And there were bystanders, too, urging officers to get off the handcuffed man, telling them to take his pulse. Some of the bystanders gave emotional testimony as the state of Minnesota presented its case in the Minneapolis courtroom. Here's what we heard. On Friday, the most senior officer in the Minneapolis Police Department testified that his training never taught to kneel on a handcuffed person's neck. Lieutenant Richard Zimmerman, head of the Homicide Department, says someone in handcuffs should be moved on their side or sitting up, not lying face down. Putting your knee on a neck for that amount of time is just um, uncalled for. Um, I saw no reason why... The officers felt they were in danger, if that's what they felt. Um, and that's what they would have to feel to be able to use that kind of force. Under cross-examination by the defense attorney, Zimmerman said he doesn't frequently interact with people on the street. He agreed that an officer needs to assess all circumstances when deciding whether to use force. A video shown in court earlier in the week showed Chauvin speaking on his own body camera, talking to a bystander who argued Chauvin should not have used the force he did. That's one person's opinion. going to control this guy because he's a sizable guy. Looks like he's probably on something. The jury also heard many people say how guilty they felt as they watched Floyd die and how deeply his death was felt. Christopher Martin, a 19-year-old who was a cashier at Cup Foods, said Floyd gave him a $20 bill that Martin suspected was fake. He thought about just covering it himself, but he told his supervisor. On the stand, he blamed himself for the 911 call that brought the officers to the store. If I would have just not taken the bill, this could have been avoided. Darnella Frazier was 17 and with her younger cousin headed to a store when she saw Floyd and Chauvin. She recorded the video that went viral, leading to worldwide protests and the relatively quick firing of Chauvin and the other officers. But she feels remorse. It's been nights. I stayed up apologizing and, and apologizing to George Floyd for not doing more and not saving his life, but it's like, it's not what I should have done. It's what he should have done. The state has done a really good job painting the picture of what happened. Tamara Caban Ramirez is a criminal law attorney in the Twin Cities. You have a child and her teenage cousin 
we have a teenage clerk, we have an elderly gentleman, we have a off-duty EMT, and a martial arts expert. I wondered what you thought, too, about some of the the body language in court. For example, defense attorney Eric Nelson will put his hand on Derek Chauvin, put his hand on him when he's introducing him. We saw that a lot during uh, the selection of the jury. What do you think about that? How do defense attorneys try to talk about or humanize their clients uh, in cases where it's a murder case? Well, that's precisely it. You want to humanize uh, the the defendant. You want to make sure that the jury can somehow identify with what the defendant is going through. You want to make sure that um, they're not painted as a monster. They're not, you know. But in in this case, what is different is that you know you usually have the police officer on the other side. You usually have the police officer being the one providing testimony, not being the defendant. Right. I wondered, you mentioned uh, hearing testimony from officers and hearing from officers. I wondered if at this point in this trial, if you were representing Derek Chauvin, would you put him on the stand? The, the issue when you put your defendant on the stand is that you're opening the door. You cannot control the narrative. The defense is suggesting there was an angry, large group of people and that it was distracting or it was intimidating to the officers, that it would be helpful to hear that from the officer's perspective. You know, in this case, if it was my defendant, I would absolutely not put him on the stand. Why? Because the video is very powerful. He did not flinch. Uh, He seemed very controlled. Um... It's problematic. What is he going to do when he sits on the witness stand? No, I was very afraid, and that's why he didn't move. We did see from his body camera footage, I believe, we heard the only things that we've really heard from him during a a sort of a conversation or a confrontation after all of this with one of the bystanders, with one of the witnesses. And he says something to the effect of, well, he was a, a sizable guy. We had to restrain him or something to that effect. That's not a direct quote. But what was your thought about that? It's like the big black man that, you know, can just have Hulk-like, you know, force and power. And he's going to overpower this, you know, five nine hundred and seven. I don't know how, what she's weight, but, you know, I remember it was six plus and then five nine. Uh, to Chauvin. And so that's another way of dehumanizing Mr. Floyd. So you don't you don't think that that helped the defense to hear that from Chauvin? Um, You know, I don't think so. But at the same time, the reason why they're using all of this is because it has worked. Toward the end of last week, the prosecution called George Floyd's girlfriend to testify to convey to the jury how his death is being felt by people close to him. Courtney Ross cried as she remembered the moment they met in Minneapolis. Floyd has this great, deep, southern voice, raspy. (laughs) He's like, sis, you okay, sis? And I wasn't okay. Ross said Floyd then asked to pray with her. Both struggled with opioid addictions that started with prescription medication for pain. The defense focused on how they got the pills and how the drugs affected them. 
Ross says she and Floyd tried to quit on and off. Addiction, in my opinion, is a lifelong struggle. Uh, so it's something that we dealt with every day. It's not something that just kind of comes and goes. We expect to hear more next week about what the medical examiner found, a key contention in Chauvin's case. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. Members of the Floyd family spoke Monday morning outside the courthouse. While helicopters flew overhead, Terrence Floyd spoke about what it's been like for him watching the video of his brother's killing. And I've watched it numerous times. And some people say, why are you doing that to yourself? Why are you doing that to yourself? Because just like a person has a voicemail and they, they lose a loved one, but they call that voicemail just to hear their voice. I was watching the video, not to not to discuss myself or get myself furious. That was the last time I could hear his voice. Hmm. You know, so I watched it. I watched it. I watched it. And every time I watched it, it seemed like it just got me, it made me a little it made me stronger because I knew. Yeah, they, they they murdered him. But we still Floyd Strong. Hmm. And we still here. So we're going to hold it down for him. You know what I'm saying? And they say trust the system. They want us to trust the system. Well, this is your chance to show us that we can trust you. This episode was produced by Megan Burks, Brita Green, and Nancy Liebens. Reporting by Brant Williams, John Collins, Reham Fashir, and Matt Sepik. Laura Ewan edits our coverage. We had technical help from Alexander Simpson. Our theme music is by Gary Meister. Thanks for listening. I'm Nina Moyni.